Just a few years ago, our congregation came into relationship with a new church development in Clarkston, calling itself Shalom. And you may remember their pastor, Gad Mapoyo, who came and preached with us and talked about the origin of the name Shalom. Why pick Shalom for the name of a church? And he pointed to this text from Jeremiah. Seek the shalom of the city in which I have sent you into exile. An appropriate passage for Gad, who has moved here from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and for his congregation, many of whom are also refugees. So with Gad and our sisters and brothers of Shalom in mind, listen to this word from Jeremiah the prophet in the 29th chapter. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its shalom you will find your shalom. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, Only... When Babylon's 70 years are completed, will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. And I will receive your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So on this Sunday morning, we gather in the company of the second of the three great prophets whom we will meet this month, the prophet Jeremiah. So what do we know about the prophet Jeremiah? We know that he was born sometime in the 600s BCE. And last week, those of you who were here heard about the prophet Elijah. So we're about 200 years after Elijah's time. And during those 200 years, the political reality of Israel has changed dramatically and for the worse. You may remember us talking about the two divided kingdoms, north and south. Well, since Elijah's time, the northern kingdom has fallen to the Assyrian Empire. 
All that now remains in Jeremiah's time of the once proud kingdom of David is the southern kingdom of Judah with its capital at Jerusalem. But this kingdom is also now in danger. Foreign armies are gathering at its borders. Now Elijah, you might remember, was called to prophecy from outside of the centers of power. But Jeremiah is a prophet who is called from the power structure itself. He is descended from a priestly family. In chapter 1 of Jeremiah's collection of prophecies, Jeremiah describes how his call to prophecy came from God. He says this, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, Jeremiah, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah responds, saying, God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, You shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I, God, am with you to deliver you. Then Jeremiah says, The Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. Interesting how Jeremiah touches his own mouth in this image by Michelangelo. It all sounds okay up till now, right? I mean, doesn't this calling? It sounds like something that you might say yes to. Sounds kind of exciting, actually. Jeremiah is wary about being called to speak in a public way, but but God reassures him, don't be afraid. I am with you. It will be my words in your mouth. It's only then that we learn what the nature of these words will be. God says to Jeremiah, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy, and to overthrow. Well, that doesn't sound good at all now, does it? We know from Elijah that the work of a prophet is not for the faint of heart. Your life can be at risk as a prophet. To borrow an image taken from current events, a prophet is the ultimate whistleblower. One who exposes injustice and corruption at the highest level. But the prophet does it out in the open for all to see and hear. When you call out a leader and the entire apparatus of power and all the sycophantic loyalists who gather around the leader are called out, you become a threat. People will want you to go away or die. Jeremiah says yes. To this call. But the message he brings to God's people and to God's appointed leaders is not a message they are eager to hear. Pluck up, pull down, destroy and overthrow, he says. Our nation is doomed. Jeremiah is the first to know, or perhaps the first who is willing to admit it out loud. He sounds an alarm. He says, Our nation has been unfaithful. We deserve a rebuke. 
Our people have forsaken our God, the fountain of living water. We have dug out cisterns for ourselves, cracked cisterns that hold no water at all. Because we have broken our covenant, the enemy is coming for us, Jeremiah warns. There's a a boiling pot about to be poured onto us. There's a hot wind coming out of the desert toward us. A lion is rushing at us from the thickets. By the fourth chapter of his prophecy, Jeremiah will see a vision of his beloved Judah as a post-apocalyptic nightmare. Imagine someone saying these words and knowing that he is talking about your own neighborhood. I looked on the earth, and lo, it was waste and void. And I looked to the heavens, and they had no light. I looked on the mountains, and lo, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and lo, there was no one at all. All the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and the fruitful land was a desert, and all its cities were laid in ruins. All of this before the Lord, before God's fierce anger. This is the undoing of Genesis 1. It is the unraveling of God's good creation. The word catastrophe from the Greek means everything turned upside down. Everything. What a horrible calling for Jeremiah. What do you say, right? What words are there when when all that you see is a vision of human destruction? We can't just gloss over Jeremiah's words as an overwrought metaphor. Jerusalem did fall to the Babylonian army in 587 seen as military conquests always are then and now a horrifying scene of suffering and destruction. There is no balm in Gilead, Jeremiah says. There is no physician out there who will ease our pain. There is nothing for us left to do except to weep. When the city that you love looks like this, what can you say? Anyone know what that is a picture of? Yeah, it's Hiroshima. This was a city that was full of life. And this picture is from Dresden in Germany after the firebombing of Dresden. And yes, that is a pile of human bodies. And this is Mosul in northern Iraq, just a few years ago. Catastrophe silences speech, doesn't it? Human suffering on the scale that we see cannot be understood, let alone spoken of. The critic Theodore Adorno said that to write poetry after Auschwitz, is barbaric. Now, you and I all live in a place 
of privilege. We know that. We never have to see this kind of desolation, the kind of desolation that Jeremiah witnessed. We never have to weep for our city or for our people like he did. But there was a moment in the United States when people remembered Jeremiah's words. On September 12th, 2001, people, some of them at least, went looking for a word, a word from God, that somehow understood the death and the destruction, the desolation that they were seeing with their eyes. So they opened the book, the good book, to Jeremiah, and some opened to Lamentations, which was supposedly written by the prophet Jeremiah, and which begins, How lonely sits the city that once was full of people. There's nothing that you can say in the face of catastrophe. And yet we must speak. We remember that by speaking, God created the world that was good, And and when the world that we know has come to an end, perhaps by speaking, we might create it again from its ruins. With our speech, as flawed as it is, we might try and praise our mutilated world. So Jeremiah bears witness to the loss He observes what was precious that has been scattered. He holds all the pieces of his beloved home in his hands and he weeps for it. As you can probably guess, Jeremiah was never the most popular guy at the party. Nobody likes the person who brings the bad news. Pessimists, we call them. Debbie Downer, gloomy Gus. It's not just that we don't like bad news. It's that we cling to optimism like it's our only life raft. We want to believe that things are getting better, that that they're always getting better, For our lives, they must be getting better. Certainly for our community, they must be getting better. For our nation, things must be getting better. Even when we can see things aren't going well, we surely can't dwell in the negativity. Surely whatever is wrong, we can fix it, can't we? There must be five simple steps to take from here. There must be one drastic measure that we can take. At the very least, we must hold out hope for some kind of miracle. Because there's no problem, right, that God can't fix so long as we believe. Perhaps sometimes our hope is false. Our optimism, an enemy that keeps us from the truth. 
Trying to see the best in a situation might prevent us from accepting what is really wrong. And then doing the hard but necessary work of recovery. Is not the very first of the 12 steps admitting you are powerless over what holds you captive. And thus marks the long journey to recovery and wholeness. The Babylonians are coming, Jeremiah says to his people. There's nothing left for us to do. We will not be spared. So we should yield to our captivity We should go, all of us, into exile. He says, accept it, because only there in Babylon can we begin again. Only there can we bear witness to all that we have lost. There we can write down all that has been scattered. There we can hold on to the broken pieces that are left until it is time for God to do something new. Eventually, we might even build houses and plant gardens and bear children again eventually. Maybe you have heard the passage from Jeremiah that I read this morning. Surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm to give you a future with hope. I heard that passage once many years ago now at a young adult retreat. And it was framed in that kind of relentlessly optimistic American Christianity kind of way. God's got a plan for your life. There is a time and place for that kind of affirmation. But that is not what Jeremiah is offering. Jeremiah is speaking from a deeper place, from the place that we only speak after we have come through a catastrophe when no speech was possible. Jeremiah speaks of hope. It is the hope that is born out of deepest grief, out of the hardest loss, out of the absence of God. And it is only when we know that our life has disappeared, our nation has been destroyed, our sense of wholeness obliterated, only when we find ourselves standing utterly disoriented in the place that we never imagined we would be, and yet we are alive and we must go on, only then... Only then do any of us come to understand the great gift that Jeremiah offers when he speaks the words that God put into his mouth. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. That is a hope that is beyond hope. That is a peace that passes 
understanding. That is life after death. It is faith in God. It is the kind of faith in God that arises mysteriously around us and among us in people that we know and sometimes in ourselves. It is a faith in God that can take the words of Jeremiah, there is no balm in Gilead, and turn them around and then sing with great conviction, there is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. Jeremiah knew what it was to have God, to lose God, and then to find God again. Thanks be to God, let the people say, Amen. Hello, and welcome to the North Decatur Presbyterian Church Sermon Series. We're a PCUSA congregation in Decatur, Georgia. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to ndpc.org or just come by and visit. Here's this week's sermon. <laughs> 